Lord, we do agree with those prayers and do desire that uh, you be lifted up today and your word be glorifying to yourself, to you, and that you might illumine our minds and our hearts, that we might understand what you have communicated, that we would take it in a very personal way, knowing that you have designed it to speak to us. We desire to understand it. So we commit our time and ask that you would have your way amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Romans, I've given you two introductions, and you might even consider today a little bit of an introduction to sanctification. Paul uses theological words. He uses this word sanctification at the end of chapter 6, a couple of places, at the end of verse 19. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So this is a biblical word. It's not a word that theologians necessarily have come up with. And then verse 22, but now having been freed from sin, enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. And I've been mentioning that Paul is writing to believers in the city of Rome, so he freely uses theological terms. He had taught many of the believers personally, not so many at Rome, but other places. And in that teaching, he would have explained what he meant by the words that he used. And in some cases, even we see that in some passages, uh, some insight. So these are terms that would not have been unfamiliar to many believers of the first century, but they are unfamiliar to a lot of people, especially today, because we don't have a biblical worldview anymore, and churches have wandered away from teaching theology and theological ideas. So what I'm going to do today is kind of give you a bigger picture or more of a biblical view of not only the word sanctification, but an entire word group. So just by way of introduction, and just to kind of give you a visual, if you will, or a down-to-earth concept that is captured by this word sanctification for you women, you have probably a cabinet somewhere with special dishes that you only use on special occasions, only on certain holidays, perhaps, or birthdays, or whatever. You set them aside. These are not the common dishes. The everyday utensils that you would use commonly every day with little kids and don't fear them falling on the floor, etc. So you put them in a special case. They're set apart for those particular occasions, right? For you men, you might have uh, <laughs> you might have something like this in your garage. And this was actually for George, but he didn't show up. <laughs> he's got not quite Lamborghini, but he's got a Corvette that he keeps very nicely stored away in a garage, polishes up, keeps it very nice. He doesn't drive it on dirt roads because it's so low to the ground, so it's only used on special occasions. It's set apart to have for a particular 
reason, particular purpose. That's the concept of sanctification. The essence of it is something set apart for a particular purpose. Now, because in the Bible there are, there are words that obviously are in the Greek text and translators have to come up with an English equivalent, sometimes the English does not give you the full sense of a word necessarily or tie it to other terms just from the English. I'll illustrate that in a moment. But we're looking in the portion, the major division of the book, the middle of chapter 1 to the end of chapter 8, where God is explaining that he has provided righteousness. We stand condemned and therefore do not have righteousness, but God has graciously provided that righteousness. Paul uses the theological word. In fact, he uses the condemned word as well. But he uses the word justification. So we spent some time defining that word. And I'll kind of remind you of it in a moment. But now after justification, now he uses another theological term that we just looked at in two verses. We call that sanctification. That's chapter 6 through 8. And just a quick reminder to kind of set the stage here because... What I tried to do two weeks ago when we were, or three weeks ago, however many, last time we were in the book of Romans, I gave you a little background to kind of illustrate this idea. God has been doing this, even though the word is not used in a lot of these contexts, but God has often been setting apart his people, and he does it for a particular purpose. So we see this historically with the nation of Israel. We have the origin of the nations. In fact, we have the origins of all things in the book of Genesis. And in chapters 10 and 11, we have the origin of the nations. And chapter 11 gives us how the nations came about as a result of man's sin, obviously. God judging man's sin. God intended, I think all along, that people would fill the earth. In fact, that's crystal clear in scripture. It's part of the mandate. Man chooses to make a name for himself, not a name for God, but a name for himself, and to gather together in one location, Tower of Babel, you're familiar with the story, God confuses the language to force the issue to spread peoples all over the earth. So all of humanity at that point is pretty much corrupted. There are perhaps one or two or a few that were godly. They're not named in uh, Genesis 11, but we have the line that leads to an individual that God calls out, a man to himself, sets him apart from the culture in which he lived in, brought him even out of that country to a new country to set him apart because he has a plan. And that plan is laid out in the Abrahamic covenant. So he separates from the nations one individual with the purpose of forming a nation, and that nation becomes that uh, special people as well. We looked up all of these verses, we won't go back, but he promises to Abraham that he will be the father of a great nation. In fact, there are several nations that come from Abraham, even as a result of failures in, in faith as well. So he creates a nation, we have the record of that, Exodus through Joshua, the nation of Israel, and we looked at a particular verse that indicates 
Exodus 19, 5 through 6, where we have that purpose of the nation of Israel. They're called to God as a special people, his own possession, it says in that passage. Not only his own possession, but they have a particular purpose there to reflect the glory of God amongst the nations. That's sanctification. That's the idea of a people, a whole nation, called out to reflect who God is. So that's the idea. Israel failed, obviously. And we didn't even look up Deuteronomy 28, but if you want the verses 63 through 68, that's long range. That even looks beyond today. But right now, the nation is scattered throughout the earth. And if you look at chapter 30, God is going to bring them back and continue what he began in the Old Testament And they will be a separate people again. So Deuteronomy 28 through 30 kind of gives us not only the failure, but what God is going to do in the future with that special people. In the New Testament, we have a new creation. Not a nation, but an entity that God creates. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are created anew. We are a new people. The old has passed. God has called us out of darkness, just like he called the people of Israel out of bondage. We are also in bondage. That's what the book of Romans is talking about. Called us out of bondage into a relationship with him for a particular purpose. And in order to accomplish that purpose, he has to continue that work. And that's what sanctification is all about. We have a new creation, and we looked at 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. We are a nation, a particular people, a holy nation set apart, and we are to do what in verse 10? Display his glory, essentially. Summary of the, of that passage. That's sanctification. God calling us out, working within us to make us useful vessels that we may reflect his glory. That's the concept. Now, we'll look at the word and see the specifics of that. The process by which God does that work, we call sanctification. Okay? So, just a summary of the passages. Sanctification, chapter 6 through 8. He's going to lay out the principles, and we will begin more detailed study of chapter 6 next time. But there's some issues because of the flesh and because of our attitudes, God has to work to get us from that state before we were justified to be useful. And in that process, we call that the Christian life. We have problems in that area. So that's what chapter seven is all about. And then chapter eight is how God accomplishes it. It's in a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit. So we'll see that, I don't know, maybe next year depending on how far we get. So we have the principles, chapter 6, and a key principle, and what's essential is our understanding. He says, do you not know in verse 3, and then he goes on into this explanation of this relationship, this new relationship, this new identity, this new unity. He uses the word baptism, so we'll have to look at that word. This new... Unity with Jesus Christ. That's explained in 1 through 14. Now, we've been looking at this idea of righteousness, and I'm just going to give it to you just kind of to illustrate. Remember, there's a whole word group of 
terms and in translation we don't get the idea that these words are related to one another in the English that's why I made a big point when we were talking about righteousness we talked about dikaios translated righteous some contexts just okay both those English words convey kind of a concept here but you might think well when it's translated just is this a different Greek word no it's the same Greek word and we talked about the verb idea to justify. It's the same word group as righteous. But in English, it takes a different word. So sometimes we think, well, it has maybe a different meaning. No, it has the same idea. It has this idea. If, if dikaios is a situation or a condition of being in a right standing before God, The verb form, even though it's translated justify, means that we are now in the process, it's the verbal idea of getting in a right relationship to God or to be justified or to made but declared righteous. So you can translate it to be declared righteous. But it's a long phrase, so we use the word in English, justify. What I'm illustrating here, we've gone over all of this before, is the English sometimes doesn't convey accurately the tie-in with the key idea here. Then we have uh, justification, same word group. You have dikaios, dikaio, dikaiosis. You have another word that's sometimes translated uh, justification, dikaiosune. They're all part of the same word group. So they all have this idea of having a right relationship with something, and when it's used theologically and like in the book of Romans, a right relationship with God, whether the noun form or the status or the verb idea, that's the, the basic idea. Well, what does it mean when we come to these words? And there's a whole group of words. Uh, one of them is related here, holy. You've heard the word holy. What does holy mean? Well, we have a lot of different concepts, otherworldly. Sometimes you might even think in English, the secular world, somebody that's totally detached, insane maybe, (laughs) crazy, weird. We kind of attach that to, or at least secular people do. And usually, even reflected in some of the art, you always have a person that's holy with with a halo or an aura or some sort of visible identification as as holy. So... The word holy, what I'm getting to here, all of these are related to a basic concept, and they're all part of the same Greek word group. So the idea of holiness, what about the idea of saint? That has a lot of connotations. In a Catholic context, what does it think of? What do you think of in a Catholic context? She goes to church every every single day. She or... So when we think of the concept of saint... Catholic audience, you think of these past people of history that lived these very devoted lives. In a Protestant context, you kind of uh, see it a little bit more flexible, maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. St. Donald there, but. So we'll talk about that idea. It's part of the same word group. To consecrate, you've heard that word, also probably in a Catholic context or even in some Protestant context. What's the idea? 
Is it a religious ritual, a consecration service, this idea? When I'm making holy, saint, consecrate, different English words. So in our thinking, maybe these are totally different, unrelated words. When I'm making, they're all out of the same word group. Sanctify, what does that mean? What does sanctification mean? Well, the whole word group, at the heart of it, whether it's used in a normal everyday sense or whether it's used in a theological sense, it has the idea of to set something apart, to set something apart. So let's look at these individual terms, the ones that are translated holy or saint or consecrate or sanctification or sanctify. I missed that one. First of all, let's look at the Hebrew, the Old Testament concept, because this is where it comes from. It's based on the idea That's why I gave you the background, because what God is doing is illustrating this idea of something set apart, a people that he intended to be different, to represent him, to reflect something of himself to a rebellious and lost culture, the whole nation of Israel. And they were to live a life separate So all of the little details of the law are designed to distinguish these people from everyone around them. They dressed differently. They had different allegiances. They had a different law code. They had their own nation. They had their own ritual. All of those things are to set them apart. And then ultimately for a particular purpose. But that's the concept. The Hebrew word, this is, I didn't put the vowel pointing, but kadash, that would be the uh, verbal idea. So the basic three letters there, kadash is the way you would pronounce it without the A sound in there. Basically means to set something apart. And it depends on what context, what is being set apart. Let's look up some of these. In the Greek text, we have hagias. Hagias, something set apart, same idea. Sometimes translated holy, there's your word for holy. Sometimes it's translated sacred, or sometimes in referring to one, it's speaking of a holy one. In fact, you find that translation in the New Testament. Sometimes it's translated saint, same word group, same idea. Also, you have the verb form, and what I want you to see here, hagias, hagiazo, see the same word? Except it's in the verb form. It's to make holy or to sanctify. There's the word that is translated sanctify or to set something apart for a special use. Just like you women set apart for special use, particular china or dishes or silverware or whatever. Something set apart. Agiazo. And then the fourth word here, agiasmas. Notice they're all same word group, so it has that same basic idea. Holiness, sometimes translated, or in, uh, for example, the Romans passage I read, sanctification. There's your theological word, a condition or a state or a process of setting something apart. You got it? That's the basic idea. Let's look at them individually. So... The adjectival form, somebody look up that one. We read that one, I think, last time we were here. In fact, there's several that I want you to look up here. Whoever gets 19. Yes, sir, first. 19.6? Huh? 
19.6, you got it, Connie? And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the the adjectival form. Right. Uh, kodesh. Same uh, consonants, different pointing. You shall be a holy what? Nation. Holy, that's the idea. That's Kodesh, Hebrew word. Go ahead and read uh, verse 10 as well. Somebody get uh, Genesis 3. You got 3. Who's got Leviticus? We need readers today. Jeremy, you got it? And since you're there, I'll let you do 22 as well. Did you get uh, 19.10? Connie. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them. Sanctify them. That's another Hebrew word. That one would be uh, kadosh. Yep, kodesh. Read it anyway. Kodesh. Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Sanctify is kadosh. Yeah, slightly different, different pointing. And we have, in this case, it's speaking to the children of Israel. In other words, set them apart on this great occasion that I'm going to reveal the law, God is saying to the children of Israel. And in the law, they are going to know how to become a set apart people because I have a great plan for them. I have a purpose for them. So there's other things that are described. The verb form is 1910. We also have the verb form. Here is God doing something to something, an entity or a time element. You got it? Genesis 2, 3. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Okay, God sanctified it, set it apart. Children of Israel, in fact, for all people, because this is even before the children of Israel. He has a special day designed. It's not the everyday work day. It's a particular day that God has designed in order for certain things to happen. It's a special day. The Sabbath, God set it apart. His design. What about Leviticus 21.8? You got that one, Jeremy? Let's see, it's got a couple, maybe. You shall consecrate him, therefore, for he offers the food of your God. Okay, that's that's the priest, I believe. He shall be holy to you, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you and holy. Okay, so there's the noun form and the verb form. Same context. Set apart, but it's translated sanctify. The other one is translated holy. Same word. So you have the same Hebrew word group related to kadash. Same idea. And in the New Testament, you have a similar situation. And you got 2232. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be sanctified among the sons of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I choose that passage because you have the noun and the verb. God describes himself as sanctified or holy, set apart. And obviously, he is utterly and totally set apart from everything. He is totally distinct from his creation. There's no tie-in between God and the creation apart from what he makes in terms of relationship. So when we speak of the holiness of God, we're thinking of God as being totally other than everything else. Totally set apart. So when the verse says, be ye holy as I am holy, it's set apart. Yes. Be set apart. Don't forget the, for a particular purpose. Okay? So the Leviticus 22.32 describes God. God is called holy. 
the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, but also we have the word to sanctify there. Same word. Different word in English, same word in Hebrew. Connie. Go back to what we were talking about last week with salt and light and how um, we're to be set apart and not because how the salt lose its saltiness, it's diluted. If it's diluted, exactly. diluted by the culture Right. And sanctification is the process of God refining us, making us more useful, because we don't come out that way at the beginning. It's a process. We'll get to that. Okay. So that's the Hebrew, and in English, the word holy or chagias is the same idea as the Hebrew kadash, something set apart, something holy, something sacred, holy one, like a saint. So let's look these up as well. Somebody get Romans 1, 2. So that's at the very beginning. You get that one. Somebody get Hebrews 9. You get that one, Mary Lee. Somebody get John 17, 11. Okay. And since you're in John, I'll let you get 669 as well. Who wants to do Mark 838, Ellen? And 2 Peter 3, 2. Anyone else? Connie, you got that one? Sure. Ephesians 3, 5. Go ahead, uh, Jeremy. Okay, first of all, the word hagias is used abundantly in the Old Testament. I didn't give you all the verses. There's many of them. And it's also very often used in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, sometimes it's translated holy in reference to things, in reference to God. We saw an Old Testament passage. There's several in the New Testament as well. Angels are called holy angels to distinguish them from what? Fallen or demonic angels. And then there's a variety of passages that speak of people and sometimes even <coughs> specific individuals. So who's got Romans 1, 2? You got that one? Which he has promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The Scriptures are holy. They're writings by human beings, but they are set apart because they are inspired by God and they have a particular purpose in order to communicate God's revelation to mankind. So the word holy is attached to the scriptures. What about uh, Hebrews 9, 1 through 3? Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Okay, a place of holiness or a holy place, referring to the Old Testament, what, in that context? tabernacle, and then later the temple. It had a holy place, the Holy of Holies. It was set apart from every other place on the planet, or even the universe, you might say, because that was for the purpose of God manifesting his presence. Keep reading. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. And by the way, in the Old Testament, each of those items are... Not common, they're not common lampstands, not common bread, not common utensils, but they're holy. They're set apart because they are for a different purpose. Keep reading. It is called the holy place. There it is again. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Okay, the word holy and holy place, so places, locations can be designated because they have a particular purpose for 
existence. Okay, 1711. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your... Holy Father, there's Hagias, okay? So the Father is described as holy. There's the New Testament idea. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Okay, then 669. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, the reference to Christ as the Holy One, how is it translated there? Well, in mine, because I'm using the New King James, it says, um, also we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, I think in uh, New American Standard and others it's called the Holy One. Holy One of God, is that how your version puts it? Probably. That's okay, that's fine. I just wanted to see that you have the Father and you have the Son. Holiness of God, and there's many others as well. Angels, Mark 8.38. For whoever is ashamed here and now of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy With the holy angels. In other words, the angels that he preserves keeps them from sinning. They have a purpose. In fact, they have a purpose that they're functioning in now. They're set apart. They're set apart from the demonic angels. And Second Peter 3, 2. Connie, you got that one? That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles. Okay, prophets, that is, they were set apart for a particular purpose of revealing God's word. Got it? Holy prophets. And Ephesians 3, 5. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. Okay, holy apostles, and you can attach the holiness to the prophets as, as well. Holy apostles, referring to people. They're set apart for a particular purpose. And the word saints, by the way, which occurs very frequently, is the identical same word. It's hagias. And it's translated saints, a totally different English word. That's why we kind of get sidetracked sometimes and think, well, this must be something different. No, it's the same idea. A saint is designed by God for something to be set apart. And in this case... When it's referring to individuals, and sometimes it refers to specific individuals, they are set apart for a particular purpose. You can even translate all of those same places, holy ones, or holy individuals, or holy people. But you have to add the little second word, people, to the word. It's the same Greek word, though. They're set apart. So believers, all of us, are... Fall in that category instead of being something that is unrelated to everyday things. Exactly. We're intended to be set apart from the common, from the everyday that is corrupting, by the way, and is depraved and on its way to a eternal destiny. Uh, the phrase salt and light kind of encompasses that. Salt being one of the most common things on the face of the earth used to make roads, but light is not. 
that we are called to be both right. salt living in the world and light not being of the world. Right. Exactly. We're set apart, and there's our purpose as well. Salt and light. I didn't give you the verses, so let me go through some of these real quickly. In fact, our time, uh, we got some time. There's references in the New Testament to believers in Messiah in the Old Testament that are called saints. Obviously, in the first century and during the church age, believers, I'm going to give you some of those verses as well, refer to believers as saints. In other words, holy ones, set apart ones. That doesn't mean we have halos and we've got, we're weird and all that stuff. We are set apart. Well, we may be, we may be weird. Okay. Speak for yourself. There are passages in eschatology, in the book of Revelation and elsewhere that refer to the saints within the tribulation period. They're not Christians. They're saints. Okay. There's some that are referred to, Revelation 20, verse 9, millennial saints. All the kids from a certain age. (laughs) Millennial saints. They are a combination of Old Testament and New Testament, church age saints, if you will. So every period, you would even call Adam a saint if he truly did believe, and I think there's evidence in Genesis 3 of his faith. So everyone that knows the Lord is somebody that is set apart for him. Now, specifically, let me give you some verses real quick. Acts 9.13, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, referring to Paul, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. The believers at Jerusalem are called saints. And there's a whole list. Rome, we're going to look at. Romans 1.7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called what? Saints. Saints. Here's an interesting one. 1 Corinthians 1.2, how saintly were the Corinthians? There was someone that is identified as a believer who was having an incestuous relationship with some relative. They were suing one another. They were abusing spiritual gifts. They were into idolatry. They were doing, there was division after division at the church of Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 1 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been what? Past tense. Sanctified. The believers at Corinth as immoral and as carnal, you might say, or fleshly, they're described as saints. They haven't arrived yet. But they have been set apart, and I'm going to kind of give you some aspects of it later. Sanctified in Christ Jesus and saints, but he specifies saints by calling, not by action, because they were far from displaying their set-apartness. They're described as saints, the believers at Corinth, okay? The believers at Ephesus, Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus. Similar at uh, Colossae and other, other passages as well. So at different locations, different individuals, Paul, Ephesians 3.8, to me, the very least of all the, what, agias, the saints, this grace was given to, to preach. Here's his purpose. To preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of God. 
even amongst Caesar's household. Philippians 4.12, all the saints greet you, especially the house of Caesar's household. In other words, the saints that are part of the political system. They're believers. They're called saints. Okay, that's hagias. The next term, the verbal form, which sometimes is translated differently. To make holy, you could translate it to sanctify. There's your word, to sanctify. There's theological word. But it has the same idea to set something apart for special use. So the verb form has the same idea as the noun form. It's just the verbal idea now, even though it's a different English word. Okay, here's some examples. Somebody look up 1 Timothy 4, 5, John 10, 36. Mary Lee, you got the first one. Who wants to do... Connie's got uh, John 10, 36. How about 17? And you've got uh, 17, 19. Okay. We read 1 Corinthians 1, 2. I'm going to expand upon that. But to add to that, Hebrews 10, 10. You got it? 1 John 3, 2. Who wants that one? Ellen, you got that one? And here's a couple that are very interesting. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Bob, you haven't read yet. Why don't you get that one? 2 Timothy 2.21, very, very important one there. In fact, I think we have something of a definition of it there. Who's got it? Jeremy's got it. He raised his eyebrows, so he, he got it. <laughs> you can't twitch or you get a sign. 1 Timothy 4.5. Can I start with 4.4? Four, four? Yes, of course. Is Give us six? the context. Yes. <clears throat> For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Okay. Made holy, there's the verbal idea, hagiazo. So things. And what is the thing there? Foods. So foods are set apart for particular use. John 10.36. Connie's got that one. 10.36. This is in reference to Jesus. Do you say of him who the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Okay. Jesus is set apart for a particular purpose. Now, in his case, not having any sin, sinless, he's not going through this process of removing sin and imputing righteousness that we go through because he's already set apart. By nature. But yet, he's set apart. So it's in reference to him. 1719. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. That's Jesus. That they also might be sanctified through the truth. Okay. That you and I might be sanctified. That we might be set apart for a particular use. Jesus set himself apart in his humanity to come to die for the world. That was one of the main purposes. To bring salvation. Now, when you look at the different passages, and the First Corinthians 1, 2 is an example, sanctification can be used in different aspects. There's a positional aspect that begins the moment that we trusted in Jesus Christ. Now, in eternity past, you might think God already had intended to set us apart. That's the doctrine of election. But at justification, and the Corinthians were justified. They were believers. So they could be called sanctified in that passage that we read, 1 Corinthians 1-2. 
That's by position. That's from God's perspective. Did they display holiness? No. Were they holy? Only positionally. But yet they're described as sanctified, past tense, and also called saints. So there's a positional aspect. Hebrews 10.10. Who's got it? By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Okay, once for all. That's justification. That's salvation. We were sanctified then. We were set apart. That's the initial phase. (laughs) Then there's this ultimate aspect, 1 John 3.2. This is when we go to be with him. Who's got that one? Ellen? Beloved, we are even here and now children of God, and it is not yet made clear what we will be after his coming. We know that when he comes and is revealed, we will, as his children, be like him, because we will see him just as he is. Okay, we're not there yet, but when he comes, we will be like him in every aspect. We will be totally set apart. And God has a future purpose for us as well. He has a millennial purpose. He has an eternal purpose. So even though the word doesn't occur there, the concept of the ultimate sanctification. Progressive. And this is what uh, Romans is dealing with, Romans 6 through 8. How do we move from justification to grow in the Christian life to be more and more set apart, more and more useful, more and more cleansed, so that we may be more and more effective, and we have commands. For example, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Who's got that one? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Sanctify, God's the one that does it. We can talk about that, we will. God's sanctifying, but notice entirely. In other words, there's a process going on there. Keep reading. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the end product. So it's a process. We're not there yet. Okay, so that's progressive. And then 2 Timothy 2.21, very important passage. Underline that one. Mark it in your Bible. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things... Cleanses, that's part of the process. Setting yourself apart from sin. He will be a vessel for honor. Sanctified. Sanctified. Useful to the master. Prepared for every good work. Sanctified, set apart for every good work. Useful. There's the idea, the setting apart for a purpose. So 2 Timothy 2.21, very, very important. We have a place in it. Here's the command. Connie. 2 Timothy 2.21. Can you read that again, Jeremy? Because mine says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter. Not like the latter, what? You said sins? The old life, I believe. It's talking about, you know, like in 20, it says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earth, and and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, so the previous things would be the dishonor, anything dishonorable, dishonorable, like those. Very good, Bill. And there's also that prior verse, kind of an example of just everyday things as well. It's not that they have an aura or, you know, they have some magical power. They're just set apart. We have a participation. We won't read it, but just write it down because we're running out of time, and I'd like to get to the next part here. First Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 is a command. There's a command. 
to be set apart or to sanctify. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And he uses it to describe what we are to do. Hagiasmas, holiness, sanctification, that's the idea. And there's verses there that we could look up. But let me just kind of illustrate it on a timeline, mainly emphasizing these aspects. We have physical birth, right? When we are born, we're sinless, right? No. 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 Okay. In fact, we're spiritually dead, Ephesians 2.1. And as a result, what we've been talking about in the book of Romans, we're condemned, condemnation. But then we have spiritual birth. Jesus talks about that, uh, John 3, other passages. Paul speaks about spiritual birth. That's called justification. We die physically, but in the process, there's this process of sanctification that goes up and down. We go up and down. God's working with us. We, we fail. We, we have success. And then we have physical death, and then we are glorified where the process is completed totally. So we might be able to say, God loves the sinners just as we are. As sinful as we can possibly be, he loves the sinner. As depraved as we may be, bottom of the pit, God loves us. Crystal clear in scripture, right? Justification, God loved us so much that he what? Gave his only son that he would make a provision that we could have a relationship with him. Our righteousness is just filthy rags. He replaces that with his own righteousness. We call that justification set apart for himself. That's like the Corinthians or any believer the moment of salvation. God refuses to leave us just as we are. Okay, he loves us just as we are, but he refuses to leave us there. That's what? That's sanctification. Set apart for change. And that change is the process of changing us into his image to be useful for his purpose. That was that 2 Timothy 2.21. 21. But it's also Romans 12, 1 and 2, conforming to the image of Christ. And ultimately God will complete that process. That's Romans 8, 28 through 30. That's glorification. We're set apart for eternity. So see, sanctification can refer to that initial moment of salvation or justification. So they're used interchangeably. To refer to the same moment, you could refer to the salvation experience as a sanctifying moment, or you can refer to it as justification. Somebody look up Romans 8, 28 through 30, because that's a good one to close on. Alan's got it. Okay. Same chart. We're condemned. We've run out of time, by the way. Oh, well. Let me show this chart here. We're condemned. We have spiritual birth. We could call that justification, but we could also call that positional sanctification. We die physically, we could call that ultimate sanctification. Number three aspects. And notice there's a gap, the little star on the top is glorification. There's a gap between how far we move in the process of progressive sanctification. Got it? That's the main area that Romans 6 through 8 is dealing with, is this progressive sanctification aspect. And in it all, therefore, you can put your photo here, because you're in the process 
of being set apart, and you are described in the New Testament as being holy. Okay, you want to read that last passage as I flash the last idea here. And we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together. So he causes every experience to work together for good, because he's working those to sanctify us. Keep reading. As a plan for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his plan and purpose. For those whom he foreknew and loved and chose beforehand, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. There's conformity to the image of his Son. That's the process of sanctification here. And ultimately share in his complete sanctification. So, So that he would be the firstborn, the most beloved and honored among many believers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified, declared free of the guilt of sin. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, raising them to a heavenly dignity. Okay, there's the whole process right there. <laughs> well, it starts with positional, but it, it refers to the process, and it looks at the end product, which is glorification. So sanctification means to be set apart for a purpose. What is your purpose? Who wants to close? Dave, why don't you do the honors for us? Thank you, Lord, for this time together, for your many blessings that you did call us and set us apart by by your grace and by the gift of your Son. Thank you and receive those gifts for thanksgiving and praise you. Thank you. You're set apart set us apart, and that you have called us to be set apart, to be salt and light. And we pray for your power, Holy Spirit, to show us the way through your word, through your direction, and we submit to you a new love in Jesus' name. Amen.